Good evening, everybody. This is Jeff, your host, uh, for Returning to Eden, broadcasting on Worship and Word Radio. I am joined by my beautiful co-host, Dick Dina Dye. Dina, are you with me? I am with you, and just keep up the compliments. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, folks, we've got a lot to kind of stuff into a half an hour. I want to get a couple of things uh, spoken about right off the cuff. Uh, but before we do anything, we want to just kind of make mention, both Dean and I, uh, we want to, we just want to acknowledge the, the families and those those children, the lives of those people that were torn apart in Manchester. I know I've been praying for the families and uh, just, just horrible stuff. It's just horrible stuff. And I know, Dina, you've been praying about it, but... Uh, yeah. We wanted to take a moment just to acknowledge those people and maybe even say a little prayer. So, uh, Dina, maybe would you like to say a little prayer on behalf of the families? Sure. Lord, we just ask for your comfort, your provision, that the peace that passes all understanding would be upon all the families who've lost their loved ones. And mm -hmm. especially my heart goes out to the families of lost young daughters because I have my own. And I can't even imagine the pain, the heartbreak. And Lord, somehow I pray out of this great tragedy that you would bring that you would bring some sort of restoration. I pray that you would wake people up to see the enemy that's around us and that they would take the bull by the horns, Lord God, and, and stop just uh, caving into it all, Lord. I just I pray for... Um, the goodness and mercy and compassion and justice that is you to be present in your people, as especially for those that have to walk this out. Amen. Amen. Um, you know, if I if I think about it, folks, I get kind of messed up. So I'm just going to move right along and tell you about Ryan White. Now, Ryan White is going to be joining me. Uh, on June the 7th and the 14th, because Dina's going to take a little reprieve and head to Ireland. Yeah, Dina, you're going to be gone for a couple of weeks? Uh-huh, two weeks with my mom and my sister. Oh, how great. And All just right, keep now, us in your prayer, because there is a severe threat level in Northern Ireland right now because of what's going on in the U.K. Yeah, so... Um, yeah, okay. Yeah, so folks, be mindful to pray about that as well as your, your mom is going to. <laughs> yes, it's my mother's 90th birthday, and she's oh. taking my sister and I to Ireland. Is she from Ireland? No. Let's <laughs> go to Ireland. <laughs> inexplicable. Uh, we're, okay. our, my family's from Poland and the Ukraine, but we just decided we wanted to go to Ireland. Okay. See the so. Emerald Isle. So uh, anyway, you guys be mindful of that. But Ryan's going to be joining me, and you can, of course, catch him on his website, Torah. What's his website, Dina? Ro uh, Rooted in Torah. Rooted in Torah. And he's also on Israel Television Network. Uh, he has a show that debuted a couple of weeks ago, and you can catch him over there. But anyway, he's going to be joining us, and he's going to be sharing a little bit of information. Now, Dina, you know what he's going to be talking about. What What's he going to be talking about? Well, Ryan's been doing. Ryan and I talk quite a bit about this creation, new creation thing, and he's just come out, I think, with a four-hour teaching on the new creation. So he'll be sharing some of his thoughts about that and just how that message 
transcend the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, that everything is speaking. Every time a house is built, we're talking about new creation, and ultimately Yeshua building his house out of his body and, and what that means. Very good. So I'm looking forward to that. And of course, we'll have all of those shows archived for those of you who can't join us live. Uh, tonight, we're going to... Uh, I wanted to kind of talk about something that that Dean is actually writing about in her book, but believe it or not, a lot of folks are not aware of what she's writing about in her book. Uh, in other words, there's a whole language in the Bible that's fluid. Uh, what we're trying to get across here is that when Moses is saying mountains and rivers and fields and things of this nature, it's not necessarily mountains and fields and rivers in the way we understand it. And if you're following our program, you're beginning to see those things. But also... In the ancient world, there are legal systems, and I want you to keep something in mind. We are a product of the past. We're not something that just rolled out of the assembly line. We are part and parcel of what has gone before. We're just so far down the road, we're disconnected from it. We have, for example, legal systems in, our, in the United States of America, in most countries, uh, that are born out of the covenant treaty legal systems of the ancient world. And so tonight I just wanted to take a moment to tell you about uh, how a covenant is structured uh, in the ancient world. So, And it's actually, there's like bullet points. So if you're dealing with uh, a covenant treaty, for example, in the ancient world you had the great king and then you had the vassals. These would have been uh, the best example I have, keeping in mind that we're not different from the ancient world, we're just disconnected from it in thought and history. But the United States of America, the seat of her authority in the ancient world would have been Washington, D.C., and the king would have been the president. And then the 50 states would have been vassals. In other words, these would have been 50 communities where you had governors. In that world, they would have been called vassal kings. And those vassal kings would have a loyalty to the great king, to the president of the United States. And that's true for Russia, that's true for China, that's true for most countries today. If you have an alliance with another nation, if you are the larger of the two and you're protecting that nation, you would be called the suzerain. And then you would have the vassal kingdoms. <clears throat> and those terminologies, and particularly in New Testament writings, uh, were used to identify the father and the son. That would have been some of the language that would have been used in the ancient world. And I'm not talking about bar, meaning son in Hebrew. I'm talking about bar or son, meaning vassal king, lesser king. So that language is fluid throughout the New Testament. Uh, and, and I don't want to get into all of that because that opens a can of worms depending on what denomination you're from. And we're kind of denomination free on this program. But anyway, in a covenant treaty system, you had what is called a preamble. And the preamble is identifying the lordship of the great king, who, who is the great person. In the book of John, for example, he's like making an announcement. That's why his gospel is so different, because he's making an announcement about the king, the kingdom of God. So he's giving a preamble of sorts. I'm just going to touch on all this stuff lightly, folks. I've been looking at this stuff for four or five years. Rico Cortez introduced this to me. We, and, uh, Daniel McGurr and I, I interviewed him a couple of times, but they kind of moved me along this line to understand this stuff, and I did my own research. 
and I want to say too, um, if you're just listening to us and not really checking it out and and seeing for yourself the information that Dean and I are bringing, and particularly all of the information that Dean has spent 35 years talking about, uh, well, we could be making this all up, and, and you would never know. So I encourage you to do your own studying and research, and I know, uh, I know that Dina would agree with that. Dina, you're writing about covenant treaty stuff in, in, in your book. Uh, what would you add to this? I want to go ahead and tell them a little bit more about the preamble, the historical ethical sanctions and all those things. But the whole covenant structure began with the creation covenant, which you write about. Yeah, this is a huge topic, and there's no way. I mean, there are. We have some really good material out there. Moshe Weinfeld is a is a good source for learning about the covenant, uh, the treaties, and the the land grants. So I I can't go into all of it. I'm only going to touch on the parts that relate to what I'm doing. <laughs> so. I do, uh, and I'll let you finish up where you're going before I go more into the creation covenant, but what I'm speaking of in my book particularly is the, the royal land grant, which is the inheritance that the king gave to the son or uh, his servant. We sort of have two things going on. We have a king-servant thing, and then we have a father-son thing, but it's essentially the same. And right. so as I'm dealing with the garden, my point being obviously that the garden was the inheritance it was the royal land grant that was passed from the father to Adam from the king to the servant so I, I go you know that's the element that I'm going to talk about as I said it's such a huge topic there's no way I mean you could write volumes and volumes so I'm, I'm just going to keep it pretty narrow and focused on that part well in the um, in the covenant treaties of the Old Testament for example you had and I'm just going to throw this out, and you can copy this down if you if you choose to. But you had what was called the preamble, like I said earlier. Then you had the historical prologue. You had the ethical stipulations. You had the sanctions, and you had the succession. In other words, the inheritance, like Dina was talking about. But in order to understand this, once you understand what the covenant treaties were written like, how they were drafted up, if you will, in the ancient world, you can see that in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 1 through 5, this is a preamble. Uh, historical prologue is Deuteronomy chapter uh, 1. Uh, in fact, if you just read chapter 1 and then chapter 4, or excuse me, chapter 49, you'll, I'm looking at my notes here, you'll begin to see the historical prologue, a historical prologue recounting the great king's previous relationships to his vassals with special emphasis on the benefits or blessings of that relationship. Then you had the ethical stipulations, enumerating the vassal's obligations to the great king, his guide to maintaining the relationship. Well, in Deuteronomy chapter 5, you can see that whole thing written out because Moses is writing based on his understanding of the world that he lived in, which would, would have been all of what I'm telling you now. Then you had the sanctions. <laughs> A list of blessings for obedience and the curses. And if I'm sure all of you are familiar with Deuteronomy 28. Well, actually, the sanctions start in Deuteronomy 27, but Deuter Deuteron Deuteronomy 28 or Devering 28 says, if you do this, I will bless you with this. If you do that, I will curse you with that. It's kind of like the king laying down the ground rules. 
so the sanctions or the punishments or the consequence of of um, breaking the covenant are listed there. And then you have the succession or arrangements uh, that come afterwards, and that's basically chapter uh, 31 of the book of Devarim. In other words, Deuteronomy, the whole book, is written as a covenant treaty. And if you don't know what these things are, then it's just reading an, uh, the Odyssey of Moses, so to speak. But there's actually a pattern to what he's writing, and it's following the covenant treaty legal systems of the Old Testament. And I wanted to just end this by saying and encourage you, uh, there was a gentleman by the name of Meredith Klein. He wrote a book called The Treaty of the Great King. I would encourage you to check that book out. I've got it somewhere on my shelf over here. Uh, there was a fellow named George Mendenhall. He died not too long ago. Um, he, he studied this. What happened, folks, in the, like, the late 60s, early 60s, they started, the church world started tapping into this, and then it just kind of ended. Uh, and, and, and But then you have professors and people that know about all this stuff. Professor Sheila McGinn, she's at a, a, believe it or not, a Jesuit Catholic university, John Curry University. She does a great study on all of this. I've taught it here at the men's study for about six weeks. We've learned a lot. And, of course, there's Henry Clay Trumbull, who wrote The Threshold Covenant, Blood Covenant, and Salt Covenant. Now, these are your Christian references. These are your your New Testament theological writers. And, but we like, like um, Dina said, you have some excellent Hebrew scholars who also taught on this. And you said Moshe who? Uh, Weinfeld. Weinfeld. And I, I think I've looked at some of his stuff, but I'm not familiar with it. I'm more familiar with the Christian take right. on this. Yeah. So, well, Meredith Klein is certainly uh, the go-to guy for, yes. you know, um, there, there is a lot of material out there, and like I said, this is a huge topic, so yes. clearly we don't have time to go into it. But what I covered in my first book was the concept of the creation covenant. So the more you understand about covenants, the covenant agreements, and uh, the stipulations that went with the agreement, the, the preamble, we could argue that Genesis 1-1 is a preamble. Right. Or, and it's a declaration and an oath that God is making with creation. And I think I mentioned last week, covenants are generally uh, treaties or some sort of uh, relationship between two parties. Now, typically, the, the parties are not equal. So when you have a suzerain treaty, you've got king, servant, uh, father, son kind of thing. And then there are what we call parity agreements, in which that's between two equal partners. Best example in Scripture would probably be David and Jonathan. Yes. That would have been an example of a, of a parity agreement. So the, I would maintain that the, the creation covenant, which is a covenant between heaven and earth, is essentially a parity uh, covenant between two equal <laughs> partners. Now, we, ha we have a hard time sort of getting our hands around that because the heavens and the earth aren't people. But covenants, uh, I think that the covenant agreement that is established between the two was the, the, the glue that bound them together. And so when Adam violated the covenant in the garden, uh, he was responsible for the, the, the breaking apart of the creation covenant. Like, this is really huge. That's, now, we find really that is. God, can, God has stated that he would be on both sides of the covenant, that he would keep both sides. 
but when one broke the covenant you were basically hung out to dry and cur curses came upon you so when we see that dialogue in there with the curse on the serpent and on Adam and his wife um, that is as a result those things are the fruit of breaking the creation covenant you know the covenant that governed the entirety of the cosmos the the creation covenant actually has a we call it the eternal covenant we, you read that in uh, member Phineas Pinchas and there's a number of different places in scripture that mention the eternal covenant It's basically the same thing its Hebrew language would be the Brit Ash which Brit you know means to cut and Ash is a fire because remember when uh, when Abraham the covenant was made between Abraham and God now this goes back to our uh, our covenant agreement between uh, the, the king and the servant so the king is God and the servant is Abraham and they're also a measure of father son in there and this is a promise a covenant for the land and for the seed those were the uh, they were seen as part of the royal land grant inheritance and so remember the animal was cut in two and then the burning torch and smoking furnace both parties normally would pass through the two cut animal the animal cut in half I should say but in this case it was that God was took on both parts of the covenant and passed through the animals himself and it was also said that when a covenant was broken the offender became as if he were the animal isn't that interesting right. Right. so that's you th you see why Yeshua would uh, be the arbitrate arbiter and mediator of the covenant but he was basically saying he's taking on the curse of the covenant from the first Adam and becoming as if an animal so that he his shed blood would seal or ratify the new covenant or the new creation you know there's some, something interesting there Dylan put your finger on your thought but the fact that Adam in, in Genesis the story of the uh, covenant of the pieces no, nothing died that day, with the exception of the animals. Right. And so, but but the father made sure that um, Abraham was asleep. I meant to say Abraham was asleep. And I looked at that word once. It means near death, in the same way that Adam was put to sleep. But the setting up of the 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 one who would die was established at that moment, because something had to die when the covenant was broken. And so we see, you know, 3,000 years or 2,500 years later, we see the death of, of the Messiah resurrected. And I've always tried to put those two events together. One was precipitous of the actual event because Abraham was not put to death because he hadn't broken the covenant yet because it was being established. But the covenant was going to be broken. Well, that is a, uh, a and in fact, I have in my in my new book, I have a fictional vignette of that exact story, um, mm -hmm. and so I inserted all kinds of interesting pieces of information in there that might not necessarily be the case, but it is a it's very interesting when you look closely at that whole scenario, and I maintain that actually the offering that was going to be made was a red heifer because that was one of the only offerings that was actually put on the altar mm -hmm. the other ones were slaughtered and the pieces were put on but the red heifer was 
put on the altar itself. But in the story in Genesis 22, the Akedah, the binding of Isaac, see, the, it's called the binding of Isaac because it's talking about binding a covenant, the right. creation, the restoration of the creation covenant, the new creation out of... Um, and so there are two places in the, in the narrative in which it says that uh, Abraham and Isaac walked together, but it, in the Hebrew you could argue it says they walked together as one. So it's this concept of the uh, of covenant, and it talks about Abraham says to his son, "My only son, the one whom I love." This is classic covenant language of the king for his son, and so we have we know Abraham is as a king. He comes from the law, the royal line. He's going to pass that on to Isaac, and then the promise when the covenant is made, the promise again of the land and the seed. And so, what does he say? You know that my seed will scatter to the four corners of the earth, north, south, east, and west. And, you know, m m the numbers will be like the sand and the seashore and the stars in the sky who will be part of that covenant agreement. So it's a ratification, if you will, or a restoration, I maintain, of the original covenant, the creation covenant, that was in a state of collapse, broken, and needed to be repaired. And so... God chose Abraham, and through him and his son, he would repair, repair the breach. Well, even, even with Noah, you know, no, the introduction of Noah starts out that he was in covenant with Elohim. says he was a righteous man, he walked with Elohim. So we see a covenant language in their relationship. And I'm going, you know, when you start, folks, when you understand this covenant treaty stuff, you start seeing it everywhere that when God initiated or, or called you into service, he's, this is a no-joke thing. This is a big deal. And uh, the whole thing with Abraham, you know, I, was, I, was, I went to a wedding, and the bride and the groom came down the stairs. This was a military wedding. And they had the sword up there, a good friend of mine and his wife. But they, then all the people lined up. You know how they throw rice at you and all that stuff? Mm -hmm. Well, they lined up, and then the couple went through the middle. And when they went through the middle, the moment they went through the middle, I went, they're binding a covenant. Yep. This is, a, the this middle, is the literally. Center. The sacred center. That, and I went, I could tie what I was looking at right back to Abraham uh, and the covenant that God established with him, the covenant of the pieces. They literally were walking through the pieces. Yeah, and in a, a very watered down version, the same is true, is the threshold covenant. When when a bride is married, and then the husband picks her up and carries her over the threshold. Yeah, I've talked about this many, but all of that comes from covenant language. That's all, you know. As we're returning to Eden, these little nuances that we take for granted today have their root in biblical language and covenant language. Oh yeah, the mar I mean, really, the, the the covenant between the heavens and the earth, as I mentioned last week, is actually a marriage covenant. Right. And as I've been studying more and more, the relationship between God and the land is actually as a marriage covenant. I think it's Isaiah 66. It talks about him being married to the land. So there's this relationship now between God and his land, his, his sacred space. Of course, that's the place where he wants to dwell in the midst 
of the people. So all of this, you know, uh, again, I'm just going to focus in on the royal land grant covenant in relationship to the king and the servant. Um, and and there's clearly so many uh, scholars that have done an excellent job. And so we just right. want to encourage people um, to begin to investigate this. I, I, you know, when you said that about in the 60s, the scholars sort of looked at this and it kind of went by the wayside. So. I didn't. I went back to school in the '90s, so I was a I was a dropout. I dropped out of college. Me too. Traveling <laughs> and stuff. And in the in the early '90s, I started homeschooling my kids. And uh, the state of New Mexico was about ready to prevent us from doing so unless we had a bachelor's degree. So I'm going. There's no way. You know, I am homeschooling my kids. I will do whatever it takes to do that. So I went back to school to get my bachelor's. That was the only reason I did that. Wow. Oh, did the Lord know. But one of the th I went to the uh, Southwest Assemblies of God University in Waxahachie and I had several courses on this, on the suzerain treaties and the, and the covenants, etc. So it was kind of parked in the back of my brain. Uh, I'd actually forgotten a lot about it, but um, you know, I came across some excellent scholars. So again, we're just trying to encourage people to understand because it is the basis for all of the Bibles to understand this this binding of this covenant, and that is the reason Yeshua uh, he came to bind the covenant that was broken. Right. And uh, yes, he shed his blood, but the blood ratifies the covenant and. So all that he did was about the restoration of all of creation, like and and you know Ryan will be talking more about that in terms of the new creation, because his within his body, what so we know that temples were at the point where heaven and earth joined together. So within his body, heaven and earth came together as one, and that is speaking of a covenant. Well, I'm reminded of Ezekiel 37, beginning uh, chapter 15, where where uh, he writes, Son of man, take a stick and write on it for Judah, write on it for uh, Ephraim. And I, and, but this is a different covenant because it's not like the one I made with your forefathers. I'm literally going to be the thing that binds it. My blood is going to bind it. Right. And so we see an unbreakable covenant now established through the death of the Messiah. And Ezekiel was telling us about it, but but also by bringing the royalty back into the whole, into alignment uh, through the line of Judah. We see that the kingdom of Israel would be reestablished, the royalty, the grant covenant that was extended to all of humanity would be reestablished, and that uh, all who wanted to participate in that covenant, yeah, all you had to do was, you know, uh, follow covenant law, go back and learn Torah. The kingdom of God is, is, is operating, I'd like to say, through a covenant structure and the laws of the Torah of how it's run is what we're all trying to learn about a kingdom, not about a religion or a faith or a place called heaven. We're trying to learn the rules of the kingdom under a covenant structure that was established through Adam. Adam broke it, the Messiah repaired it, and now we're seeing the restoration of Israel. Everything's coming to pass and, and the royalty the honor of the king is also being reestablished. Absolutely. Well, it is interesting because, I mean, in, in writing about the garden, because the garden being that sacred space where the covenant was 
operating as it was supposed to. Mm -hmm. And if you think about it, when it talks about Judah and, uh, and Israel, it actually doesn't say sticks. It says trees. Oh, really? I, yeah. It's, In it's the Hebrew, ets. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's ets, not, it, you know, it's not a stick. It's so a the tree. The trees. So wow. it's giving us a picture here of the restoration of the garden. The I didn't know that. return to the garden where all the trees, because these two trees represented kingdoms. Right. The kingdom of Judah and the that kingdom of Israel, and they would be restored. You just taught me something I didn't know. That oh, makes good. perfect sense. <laughs> yeah. That's By the way, this is one of my favorite passages in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 37, uh, or, yeah, chapter... Ezekiel 37, because I see the renewing of the covenant structure being reestablished. But yeah. I had no idea that, that I never looked at that. I never looked up the word sticks. Yeah, it's true. Wow, that's cool. It's a tree. Well, that's so. an epiphany for me, folks. <laughs> Outstanding. Oh, my God, Dean, it's 629 already, 630. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, we. Uh, so as we mentioned, you know, we barely have scratched even the oh. surface. But I hope hopefully we've given you enough to chew on and, you know, for, for you to go and evaluate and read about these things um, and, and see that the Bible, the entire structure of the Bible is, is in a covenant. Yeah, and when I do the uh, archives, I'll I'll re uh, list the names of some of the folks I mentioned, uh, and you guys can see all that over on our Podomatic site. And we we really do encourage you to follow us on the Podomatic. Just click the follow button, and you'll get the archives sent to you as soon as I post them. And as soon as Worship and Word Radio uh, sends me the file, and they're really good about getting it to me a day a day or two later, but usually a day, which, by the way, we want to thank Worship and Word Radio for uh, hosting yeah. our program, uh, and uh, we're just grateful that Scott and his team are on board helping us do this, so uh, we're out of here. We're going to be back here next week. Dana's going to do one more show before she's off to good old Ireland, don't you know? Hey, Ireland, here I come. <laughs> So this is Jeff Morton with Dr. Dina Dye saying goodbye to you guys until next week. We'll see you again. Shalom, shalom. Shalom, shalom.